0: Welcome, I'm glad you guys are here this morning, welcome for those of you that are joining us online. It, uh, it is good to finally be here and I just have to say that we've been overwhelmed by kindness and everybody we've met has been so kind and, and so generous to us and so we appreciate that. Um, hopefully that will continue because we like it a lot, so feel free to be nice to us, we like that, that's fun. Um, Our Scripture today is going to come from Matthew 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. So if you have your Bible, take that out. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, um, but feel free to, to just follow along in whatever translation you have. And I am going to ask you just to stand and just out of reverence for God's Word, if we could just rise as I read this passage, you can follow along. That would be great. And so this is Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Allow it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling in him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." Let me pray before we get started. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this place. I thank you for all of these people who come here with hearts longing for you, for for all those that are serving and giving of themselves and their time, whether it's in the parking lot or greeting people and ushers and, and, and those on the stage and those running sound and those upstairs with our precious children and those with our students. And so, God, I thank you that you have allowed us all here today. And I pray that you align our hearts with a deep desire and devotion for you as we go through this message. Lord, I just ask that if in my ignorance I say anything that is not the fullness of truth, that you just keep that from settling in our ears. Let all that is not fully of you just fall by the wayside. And what is of you, let it stand and do a work by your Spirit in our hearts. And we just ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So one of the things that I feel like is important for us to do right now is to get to know all of you. I feel like we have to do that, but um, I, I like efficiency as well. So what I thought we would do this morning is for Doreen and I to get to know all of you, to give you an opportunity to tell us who you are. So I'm gonna ask this question and then you tell me, you answer it, all in this room together. So who are you? All right, so now that's out of the way, right? We all know each other. You feel adequately known that you got to shout maybe your name or, or something important about yourself at us. and right? It doesn't work like that, does it? It just doesn't work that way because here's the thing. When we try to tell people who we are, we're actually trying to present something about ourselves, let people know something of us that goes way deeper than just my name or what I do for a living or where I live or, or you know, what my wife may think of me or what my friends may think. There's something deeper there that we're trying to convey, and it's hard to answer that question Because in actuality, what we're trying to convey is something that speaks to what philosophers would call our essential essence. At the core of my being, who am I? What is the identity that's in me at the deepest place, at the very deepest place, that is the place that I live out of? And so what people wanna know when we're asked with that question, who are you, is truly, what's your deepest identity? What's the thing that is unchangeable about you that governs your decisions and your choices? Now, I had collided with this question of who are you deeply over the last few months. It has been horrible. It has been absolutely horrible. The last few months have been so, so tough so tough. We've encountered situations and circumstances and obstacles, and all these things came. And I finally realized what was going on was the challenge wasn't the situation. The challenge wasn't moving. The challenge wasn't figuring out, you know, what do we do about about paperwork and bank accounts and saying goodbye to our families? The challenge was actually way more subtle than that. What I found out about a week ago was what was going on over these months was Satan. Whispering in my ear, are you really? Are you really? And so what happened was this. All of these things came about, and what they did was challenge my sense of identity. I began to lose a sense of who I am deeply. The question that was being asked of me was, who are you really? Because here's what happens. And Henry now, a spiritual writer and author, he writes about this idea that we tend to try to answer the question of who are you with three things. I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what other people think of me. Now think about that for a moment. I am what I do. Well, I gave that up. I gave up what I do. I lost that sense of of unhealthy identity of I can identify myself by what I do. I am what I have. Well, I got to be honest with you. I'm a little bit of a minimalist. A move to another country was a great opportunity for me to say, let's get rid of it all. <laughs> I don't want anything, let's just get rid of it all. And so as we started to figure out what to get rid of, I began to realize that much of my identity personally was tied to what I have. And so I started feeling like, but, but if I get rid of this, will I still be who I am? And then the big one, you are what other people think of you. Well, guess what? I don't know what you think of me. I have no idea. I have people in my world who I know, like like Jennifer and Heather, who graciously made a trip from nine hours to be here this weekend. But I know what they think of me, but I don't know what any of you think of me. I know what you say you think of me, but that doesn't mean that's what you think of me. So do you see how in these last few months, my identity began to get shaken at the core? Everything that I thought was part of who I am was gradually being stripped away or laid aside or stepped over. See, I don't think I'm the only one that's been through a season like that. I think there's a lot of people in this room who have been through that. I think there's a lot of people in this room who've had to face a job change, particularly through COVID. I used to do this, but now I do this. Am I really who I've always been? Or think about it from the standpoint of the things we had to give up through that and so COVID becomes something that shakes my identity not only at the place of what I do but also what I have because I don't have what I used to have so now I don't know who I am and then think about this in the isolation and the separation and the way we had to distance ourselves if I find my identity in the perception of others those others are now gone for two years they've been gone you, instead of going to an office where there are people who will come up to you and go, you're fantastic, you're great, you do such a wonderful job, you went to a living room and sat in front of a computer. You didn't have that sense of purpose and, and the feedback of the perception of others to help you find that identity. See, the problem that I think we have with identity is this. In the Western world, we've become convinced that our identity is something that we create. I have to go out and run hard and work hard and make something of myself. It's this Western idea of if you wanna be somebody, you need to be admired by people and respected, or you gotta have the latest products and toys and gadgets and comforts, or you gotta be seen as powerful or even spiritual or generous. That's a very dangerous mentality for those of us who are in Christ. It's a very dangerous mentality to have that I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what people think of me if I am in Christ. Because what it does, it takes us right back to the garden where Satan looked at Adam and Eve and said, look, you can make something of yourselves. You can be like God if you will just do this. And so identity becomes our way to exercise that aspect of our fallen nature that says I can make much of me. And we fall into that trap and we start going and we walk in it and then we run in it and then we get exhausted in it and we can't figure out why things don't work. This is a very dangerous mentality because it makes identity about performance and possession and perception. Our identity all of a sudden becomes all about how I perform what I possess, and what you think of me, your perception of me. And I know that we all have seasons that we go through and times when we become our own creator, so to speak. We decide, I will build myself up. I will make much of me. And we fight, and we struggle to do that. And then we get frustrated with those around us who won't accept us as we decide that we should be. They won't see us that way. And here's why that struggle exists in us. Because at the fall, what happened is this. There was one voice in the garden. It was the voice of God speaking to Adam and Eve. But as soon as Adam and Eve took that invitation from Satan and said, yeah, I can be like God, a second voice came into the garden. That's the voice of the deceiver. It's the voice of deception. And that voice, that voice of the deceiver tells us we have to create an identity but the voice of the Father is constantly telling us who we already are. And so we tend to hear the voice of the deceiver much more clearly and loudly because he shouts. He yells into our ear. And he usually yells in this way, you are not fill in the blank. You are not fill in in the blank. But the voice of the Father is gentle and quiet and soft and constant and persistent. And he whispers in our ear, you are, this and that's why we hear the the voice of the deceiver so much more readily than we hear the voice of the father because the voice of the deceiver is constant and loud and our fallen nature tends to believe all the negative lies about ourselves and so we grab a hold of it And here's the thing, both of those voices are desperately trying to give us an answer to that one question, who are you? Who are you? Those voices are constantly trying to help us answer that question. And so we all end up in the same space, I think. I think everyone in this room either is at or has been at that place I was at the last few months, where you go, I'm not sure who I am. There's doubt and there's uncertainty and there's, there's a lack of clarity. And we start thinking, well, maybe if I just do this, then I'll overcome that. Maybe if I have this, I'll overcome it. Maybe if you think this way of me, maybe if I can find the people who will think of me the way I want to be thought of, then I'll start to overcome it. I want to read this quote to you from, from Henry now, and it's the full quote that I, I kind of uh, dabbled with a moment ago. Your true identity is as a child of God. This is the identity you have to accept. Once you have claimed it and settled in it, you can live in a world that gives you much joy as well as pain. You can receive the praise as well as the blame that comes to you as an opportunity for strengthening your basic identity because the identity that makes you free is anchored beyond all human praise and blame. You belong to God. And it is as a child of God that you are sent into the world. So I know many of us are probably hearing that quote for the first time and you're thinking, well, that's great, Henry. I would love to accept that and believe that and live out of that But what about the times I can't or I won't? What about the times when all I can see is my failure? Or the times when what I lack is way more clear to me than what I have? Or the times when whether at work or at school or in my family or or even here at church, people thought poorly of me and criticized me and excluded me or rejected me. What about those times? What about those times? See, here's what I'm gonna tell you. When those times come, the times like I just went through, when you have those times, the question that I need to answer is this. Am I trying to build an identity or am I trying to live out of my identity? The question in those times is simple. Am I trying to build an identity or am I trying to live out of an identity? See, I think God's spoken very clearly about these times. And I think he's given us all we need to live above the pursuit of creating an identity in every single moment of our lives. We can live above trying to make something of worth and value out of myself. And the resolution to the problem of what am I living out of? Am I trying to build an identity? Or am I trying to live out of an identity? Was given to Jesus. And my intention is to show you that it was actually given to you and I as well. The solution was given to Jesus. It starts in verse 17 of Matthew 3 that we just read. And so Matthew writes two words at the beginning of this little uh, verse there that is key to understand who Jesus is, but also to understand who we are. Those two words are this, and behold. And behold. So here's the deal. Anytime you see the word behold in the Bible, the author is telling you, hey, you've got to pay attention to what I'm about to say because something extraordinary is coming up. That's his way of shaking us and going, Matthew's grabbing us by the back of the head and go, look at this. You've got to see it. You have to. If you don't see the rest of this, you've got to see this. And so behold, a voice from the heavens said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see what happened there? At Jesus' at baptism, his identity is proclaimed by God the Spirit for all to hear. This is my what? Beloved son. His identity is proclaimed. But more than that, his status is proclaimed too. I'm, whom I'm well pleased. Now here's what you got to understand. To this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has, we've been given no record by Matthew of Jesus having done anything. He hasn't done anything to this point. And yet God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We're not given any record of him actually having anything. He doesn't possess anything to this point. And yet God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well Pleased. We don't have any recorded thoughts of what others thought of him to this point. And yet God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So at this point, to go back to Henry, Jesus has done nothing, he owns nothing, and we don't know what anyone thinks of him, yet he has an identity. And his identity is, this is my beloved son. His identity is established by his position Identity in God, from God, is a positional identity. What's his position? His position is God's son. He's in this spot, this spot of being God's son. His identity was established by position, not by performance or possessions or perception. Identity is positional. I forgot that. I forgot that several times throughout the last few months. My position never changed. Sure, it did here. Geographically, my position changed, but my position as being in Christ, God's son, never changed. My, my vocational position changed, but my position as being in Christ, God's son, never changed. I forgot. I forgot my identity is a product of my position, not my performance or my, per, my possessions or perception that anyone has of me. Now, I know that many of us come in every Sunday we come into church, we come in at different spots, right? Because the world has a tendency to collide with each of us differently with different intensities at different times. And I know there's people in this room today that the world is just hammering you right now. And you're thinking, well, yeah, that's great, but he's Jesus and I'm not. Can I just tell you to alleviate some of the anxiety? We know you're not Jesus. We already know that. Your spouse knows that. Your kids know that. Your boss knows that. Your neighbors know that. The person who, who you're going to cut off trying to get to lunch first when you leave here knows that. We all already know that. We know you're not Jesus. But what I'm about to show you is how the fact that you are not Jesus does not change your identity as God's beloved and one who's pleasing to Him. So turning your Bible over to Ephesians 1. And look at verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read these verses to you and and hopefully we'll begin to walk down this path of going, wait, what's true of Jesus is actually true of me. And I can live into that. So listen to this, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, with which He favored us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He set forth in Him, regarding His plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth, in Him... We also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things in accordance with the plan of His will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of His glory in Him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him, with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So this whole explanation that Paul offers about what it means to be in Christ begins with telling us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, the question then becomes, what is the every spiritual blessing that we've been blessed with? Well, here's the deal. The every spiritual blessing that we've been blessed with goes far beyond anything I think that we tend to think of it as, because we tend to think of blessings in terms of things that bring comfort, or things that that make life easy, or things that, that... lead us to a place where, where we can do the things that we think God wants us to do. But here's the, here's the punchline. This is what the every spiritual blessing is. You ready for this? Pay attention to this. This is what the every spiritual blessing is. As Christ is, I am becoming. That's what the every spiritual blessing is. As Christ is, I am becoming. That's critical, that's important. It's a now, but not yet. As Christ is, I am becoming now. But I'm not fully that yet. So do you see how if I would have come to this realization, remembered this, sometime over the past few months, I would have been able to stop and go, wait, my identity is not being assaulted. Here's what I know. Even in this, as Christ is, I am becoming. When we have a perception that our identity is rooted in who we are, more than rooted in who we are becoming, we will go to the places that I went the last few months where there's struggle and doubt and feeling as if you have to have all the answers and make all the right choices and resolve all the problems. But when I know that my identity is rooted not in who I am, but in who I'm becoming, I have the freedom to live out that identity as God's beloved in Christ. In Christ. That phrase appears over and over and over again in those verses in Ephesians. It's critical. Think about what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Where? In Christ. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. That new creation is that my identity is the same identity of Jesus himself. That's what the new creation is. Before I was in Christ, my identity was me. My identity truly was rooted in what I do and what I have and what people think of me. And do you see how when, when before you were in Christ, if you think about it, think about how exhausting that was. I got to create. I got to fill this void, this space in this room with me. Because if I don't fill the void in, the, in this room, this space in this room with me, then I may not get what I want. But now that I'm in Christ, guess what I don't have to do? I don't have to fill anything in this room. Some of you are going to try to make me fill it and I will disappoint you. I can't. (laughs) I don't have to fill space in anybody else's life. I don't have to have all the right answers. I don't have to overcome every challenge. I don't have to be the person with the solution to every question. Because in Christ, I have everything I need. I want to run down a laundry list, so to speak, Maybe, maybe a menu might be a better way to say it, of the things that I am in Christ based on what Paul wrote in this passage in Ephesians. In Him I am chosen, holy, blameless, adopted, God's child, favored, beloved, redeemed, forgiven, informed, united, precious, included, useful, I am His glory. I'm sealed. I'm a reason for others to praise Him. I'm accepted. I'm desired. I'm blessed. I am an heir to the greatest inheritance that could ever be bestowed upon anyone. I am God's own possession in Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. You're going to have to speculate and project some of your angst and junk onto me for a minute, which is fine because my angst and junk probably goes way deeper than your angst and junk. But imagine what my sense of self would have been in those moments in the past few months when difficulty came When hardship was there, when unanswerable questions approached themselves, if all I heard was Jesus whispering to me, In me, you are chosen, holy, blameless, adopted, God's child, favored, beloved, redeemed, forgiven, informed, united, precious, included, useful, you're my glory, I've sealed you, you're a reason for others to praise me, you're accepted, you're desired, you're blessed, you are an heir to the greatest inheritance, you are my own possession. What would my life have looked like over the last few months? if I would have lived in that identity. I suspect in the simple things, I probably would have slept better. I suspect my wife wouldn't have walked around on eggshells as much as she had to because I was so edgy. I suspect people would have enjoyed being around me more. But more importantly, I suspect that I would have lived more deeply into glorifying God and benefiting others than I actually did if I would have grabbed a hold of that. Because this is who I am. This is my identity. I'm God's own possession. And I know that that some of us in this room are probably thinking, well, you know, those are great ideas, but that's not for me. Paul was talking to the early believers, he somehow treated them differently and accepted them more readily than he does me because I have all this baggage in this history. Stuff that you don't know about. And if you think that, if you think that Paul was speaking to the early believers in this, these verses leading up to this point, you're right, he was. He was. That's so what verse 12 says, listen to this. To the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of His glory. It's exactly your excuse right there. Your excuse for saying, but I can't live into this. Is, that's it. Paul was talking to the early believers, the early church. He was telling them, those of us that are the first to hope, this is what we are. But then listen to verse 13. In Him, you also, you, 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 watching on your couch, also, Also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. You see what Paul did? He said, yes, I'm talking to the people that I'm talking to, but I'm also talking to the people I'm not talking to. We are the people he's not talking to here. And he makes it abundantly clear that he's talking to us when he's not talking to us. Think about that. So then the question simply is this. Have you listened to the message of the gospel of truth? Have you listened to it? Have you heard it? Have you believed it? Then guess what? You're sealed in him, just like Paul said these early believers were. There's no statute of limitations on it. There's there's no expiration date on this message. It's as valid 2,000 years later as it was when Paul first wrote it. And why does that matter? Because the identity that we 2,000 years later have is the same identity that Paul is telling his early believers they have. Simplify it. If I'm in him, I'm God's beloved. And if I am God's beloved, then when he looks at me, what does he feel? He feels pleasure. If I'm in him, I'm his beloved son or daughter or child, however you want to word it. And in me, he is well-pleased. Now we have to understand one thing. By hearing and believing, we place ourselves in him. Now you have to understand what it means to believe in the biblical context, in the Hebrew context. Belief in the Hebrew context wasn't simply mental intellectual assent. I will accept and acknowledge this. The Hebrew concept concept of belief actually involves trust. So because I believe this to be true, I will trust it. And what does that mean? To put it simply, it means that I will live as if what I say is true is actually true. I will live as if what I say to be true is actually true. That is one of the greatest failings in the Western church. We go out and we profess truth. We say this is true. And then we run around trying to create an identity in ourselves. i got to do things that will build my identity. i got to have things that will build my identity. i got to get you to think of me in certain ways that build my identity. That's not belief. The kind of belief that Paul's talking about here is the belief that says, I will trust that what I actually say is true is actually true. Therefore, I will live as if it's actually true. No one in this room questioned gravity today. You know how I know that? You sat down. Not one of you, when your rear ends, was hovering over the seat, thought you might float away. That's the kind of trust Paul's talking about. That's the kind of belief Paul's talking about. That I will just live as if this is true. It means that I live out of the reality that He became as I am so that I can become as He is. It's just that simple. I trust in that. I trust in the truth that He is the source of my identity. Not what I do. Not what I have. Not what any of you might think of me. His identity as God's beloved Son is now my identity. So who am I? I'm God's beloved in Christ. Christ. I'm sealed in him by the same Holy Spirit that descended on him at his baptism and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That same Holy Spirit is descended on me and is descending on me over and over and over again in the process called sanctification, pressing that identity deeper and deeper and deeper into the very depths of my being so that when I hit difficult times, when I feel confused, when I feel uncertain, I can stand and say, no, I'm chosen. I'm loved. I am the praise of your glory. I'm an heir to the inheritance that comes from Christ. I'm your own possession. Because the one who put the identity of Jesus as God's beloved child in him is the same one who puts that identity as God's beloved child in me, God the Spirit. Problem is, when the voice of the deceiver gets loud, I can't hear the voice of the Spirit. And then the next problem is I try to resolve the voice of the deceiver instead of saying, no, what I need to do is pull back, withdraw, get to a quiet place where I can hear the voice of truth, that inner voice of love, the voice of the Father more clearly, whispering over me, you're my beloved son. In you, I'm well pleased. That's what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. See, I can't see it yet. That's exactly what Paul says here. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. You see what Paul's saying there? He's speaking to that idea of my identity in Christ is a now but not yet thing. Is it my identity today? Now, yes, it is. But it's also not yet. I don't, have the freedom to live fully into that here because that loud voice is still here shouting in my ear but i do have the freedom to live more fully into it here knowing that the day is coming when the loud voice will be silenced when god will say shut your mouth i'm done no more You will not deceive anymore. You will not lie anymore. You will not call my people to question my love for them by your loud shouting. That's the not yet part. And I know that a lot of us are probably sitting here and hearing all this and thinking, yeah, that's great and that's probably true for some other folks in here, but you don't know the things I've done. Or maybe even you don't know the things I do. Maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, you haven't seen my browser history. You don't know how poor of a steward I am with my money that God's entrusted me with. You have no idea the depths of my hypocrisy because my whole life is centered around how can I get people to like me? Maybe, maybe that's what's going through your head. And you know what the reality is? You're right. I don't know any of that. I don't know any of it. If I did know it, it wouldn't shock me. But I don't know it. But maybe you're sitting here and the struggle goes way, way deeper. Maybe it goes past your present situations and, and ideas. Maybe it's rooted very deeply in your past. Maybe you're sitting here and you can't step into that identity of God's beloved in Christ because there's some big sinful event in your past and, and you, think, you think your identity is already defined by that past event. You think that, yes, I can have an identity in Christ, but only this far, because I have this thing out there from my past that's blocking me. Maybe you you grew up in deep poverty and lack, and now you just can't fathom how how God could let one of His beloved children suffer in the way that you suffered as a child, or suffer today. So your conclusion is simple enough. It's fairly logical, but it, it, it... doesn't account for divine grace. Your conclusion is this. I must not be God's beloved in Christ because this is what my life looks like. Which is a logical conclusion, right? If my parents mistreat me, then they must not love me. But the problem is, that doesn't leave space for divine grace to come in there. Or maybe, maybe even worse, maybe you've suffered some deep abuse and trauma that's taught you that because the important people in your life have used you and rejected you and abandoned you in extremely painful and destructive ways, that no one, no one could ever look at you with genuine love, not even God. Maybe that's where you're at. In a room that says, I guarantee you, some of us are there. There's no way we couldn't be, given the state of the world. And see, here's why you cling to that still. You cling to it because you think it's truth. It's not. It's lies. And I can stand here all day long and say, but don't believe the lies. Let go. You've got to believe the truth. But here's the problem. Experience is an extremely powerful teacher. Experience is an extremely powerful teacher, even if the lesson is a lie. Experience teaches us things at very deep places, even if it's a lie. And your experience has taught you this simple lie that you could never be God's beloved. So here's the answer you need to have a new experience, you need to experience something else. We all do. We need to have an experience of truth and reality that goes beyond the experiences that the lie has told us are reality. And so one of the things that I wanna do every week, I want us to become intentional in practices that will lead us into the experience of the reality that I am God's beloved in Christ. And as we practice things that give us a new experience of reality, the old lies begin to get undermined the experiences of the lie begin to fall away. And so here's what we're going to do. In every sermon or in every series, we're going to introduce a practice. It's basically a training activity. It's how do I train myself to be sensitive to what is true and real instead of what is a lie and unreal. We're going to do this every week together as a people. And so for this series, this series called Who Am I? Our practice is going to be pretty straightforward. All I want to do is invite you to find some time for silence throughout your day. Just a little bit of silence, not a lot, maybe 15 minutes. Maybe, maybe it's on your daily drive. Maybe you're commuting and you just turn the radio off instead of trying to find something that will entertain you. Maybe it's in the afternoons or at lunch, you just take a slow walk on a trail or sit on your back deck. Maybe it's a bike ride in solitude by yourself. But here's what I do know. I know that all of us could find a couple periods of 15 minutes a day just to be quiet. And those of us that are married, our spouse may really like that. I know our kids will. Now, it's not gonna be free, it's not gonna be easy. You might have to forego an episode of your favorite series on Netflix or miss the start of a Blue Jays game, which really, (laughs) right? But here's what we do. We intentionally create space for us to sit quietly before God and ask him one simple question. Who am I? Who am I? And here's what happens in the silence. When I sit in the silence and let that question linger before God, here's what happens. I stop going, God, this is who I am. Let me tell you who I am. You need to know who I am. And I let him speak to me and say, this is who you are. And then that answer that he speaks in that silence begins to undo things in the deepest places of who I am. The places where my identity lives. The places that I can't explain. And and once I become okay with not being able to explain what he's doing, he will actually do more. Unfortunately, oftentimes in the church, what we do is this. I've had an experience with God. Now I got to figure out how to quantify it and explain it so that I can share it. But the reality is that's not your experience. That's mine. There is no need for me to share that experience with you. God's doing something in me. Now he may do something in both in the presence of each other, but more often than not, what he's doing in you and what he's doing in me, even if we're sitting in the same space, is not the same thing because we have different needs. No one believes the lies that I believe the same way I believe my lies. You've got your own lies. You believe your lies in certain ways that I may never be able to fathom. I may never be able to accept. And so that's the practice we're going to engage for the next few weeks. I just want to encourage you throughout your days over the next four weeks just find a couple periods of 15 minutes to just sit before God and say, God, who am I? Who am I? And now I will be quiet and let you answer. I'm just going to be quiet and let you answer. Maybe maybe one way to help you kind of ease into this is to take Ephesians 1, 3 through 11 and, and make that your daily reading. Just read it and look at words in there. Is it the word chosen that hits you today? Is it the word forgiven? Is it desired that hits you? What is it? Because whatever that word is, as you look at that page and that word jumps at you, that very well may be the Holy Spirit saying, today you need to know that you are chosen by me. Because I know in the deepest place you don't feel chosen, you feel rejected. So know that you were chosen by me. Today you need to know you're forgiven because I know what you did yesterday and now you're questioning whether or not you're forgiven. But to question whether or not I'm forgiven is not to question me, it's to question God. Think about that. If I go, oh my gosh, I don't know if God can forgive me because I got mad at the person in front of me in in the car, which I appreciate the fact that you Canadians don't drive like we drive. Um, Now, the problem with that is this, I'm probably going to stick out like a sore thumb on the road. So if you see a car zipping and whipping around and cutting people off, and it happens to be me, look the other way. But here's what happens. To put it all simply, when we as God's beloved in Christ have uncertainty or doubt about who we are, the better question to ask is where am I, not who am I? Where am I in this moment? Am I in me or am I in Christ? Am I trying to resolve me here or am I living out of the resolution that Christ has given me by placing me in himself. See, this practice is going to help you train yourself to constantly and persistently put yourself in Christ in the daily difficulties, in the daily joys, in the daily hardships, and in the celebrations of life. Because here's the deal. You can hold anything that comes at you if you remain in Christ. There is nothing that will overwhelm you if you remain in Christ because the dirty little secret that psychologists don't tell us is this. Circumstances don't overwhelm me. My response to circumstances is what overwhelms me. We like to think that the reason we feel overwhelmed is because of what's happening out here. And that's not why I'm overwhelmed. When I get overwhelmed, it's because of what's happening in here in response to what's happening out here. If that weren't true then how could Paul promise us that the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding could guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? Because there's no way Paul could predict every circumstance that will come into my life. But he knew that when I'm overwhelmed, it's because of my response here, not because of what's out here. It's a huge difference. And so what do we do with all this as a church? Well, it goes back to what's our mission, right? What's our mission as a church? It's to connect people to God and to each other. That's what we wanna do, that's what we seek to do. And so on the surface, finding my identity as God's beloved in Christ seems like it's a deeply personal matter. It doesn't involve all of you, it just involves me. But the reality is this, that's a communal activity. I cannot find my identity in Christ on my own. I cannot live out my identity in Christ in isolation. I have to live my identity as God's beloved in Christ out in community. And I also need community to see me and treat me as God's beloved in Christ. So one of the things that we value here in this community is that idea of one anothering that's in our mission statement, right? Connecting people to God and to each other. Paul uses that phrase one another over and over and over again throughout his letters. And so one anothering, it does take place in this large environment. It's taking place upstairs right now with the kids. The kids are one anothering each other. We're one anothering each other in here. The, the, the worship team led us into one anothering by giving us a focus of corporate worship together. But the deepest places of transformation and finding my identity always happen in a smaller community. I can one another in the big space, but I'm not, the transformation that occurs isn't gonna go to the depths that it will go when I'm in a room with my tribe, my people in, in a group, in a life group. It happens in a group of believers doing life together. And so we are actually ready to kind of relaunch our life groups on the backside of COVID. We're actually ready to say, hey, we know this and we value this. And if we're gonna connect to each other, we have to have space to do that. We have to create spaces where we can connect with each other. And so here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday, September 18th, we're actually going to have a leaders gathering. If you have led a life group, ever thought about leading a life group, think you might want to lead a life group one day, then stay after the service next Sunday. We're going to meet back here in the prayer room. And I know what some people are thinking, I'd like to do that, but I'm really not ready. Okay, if you're not ready to lead a group, come anyway. And don't get me wrong, if you're not ready to lead a group, we're not going to say, okay, we have this person, we're going to release you on people, but we're going to equip you. We'll begin the equipping process. We'll equip you emotionally. We'll equip you intellectually. We'll equip you spiritually. We'll equip you biblically to lead a group in how to connect with God and with each other. So come next Sunday after church, back here to the prayer room. If you think you might want to lead a life group, or if you have led one in the past and you're ready to get started again. See, here's the thing. When we start to practice hearing God speak our identity over us, and we start to do that in, in community, it matters. Because here's what happens. As we discover our true identity as God's beloved in Christ, we actually begin to live that out. We start to live out of that. And then imagine this. Imagine what our church would look look like and begin to look like as we begin to live more fully into our identity as God's beloved in Christ. Imagine how we would treat each other. First ourselves. And then those closest to us. Then our friends. Friends and our acquaintances, and then strangers in the grocery store. And then the entire community of Sarnia would begin to be treated differently because you in this room are beginning to live into your identity of Christ and taking that out and responding to people in a completely different way. Imagine how it would feel. Think about this for a minute. Imagine how it would feel to walk into a church every Sunday where you were seen as God's beloved in Christ. You walk in the lobby and all people see is that person is God's beloved in Christ. And so I will respond to them that way. Where everybody's seen as God's beloved in Christ. Imagine how we'd speak to one another. Imagine how we'd resolve disputes and conflict. Imagine how we'd interact with each other. Imagine how we'd help one another. Imagine how we'd love one another. Imagine how we would care for one another if we all lived out of that identity more deeply. So, so now that you have that picture in your head for those of us that are in the room now, I want you to imagine what it would look like and feel like to be lost and suffering and overwhelmed and addicted and wounded and forgotten and marginalized and ignored and rejected and dismissed and be an outcast and walk in this church where you walked into a group of people who saw you and themselves as God's beloved in Christ. There are people in our community who have never experienced that. And there's no other place where they will. But for them to experience that here, we have to experience it first. We have to live out of that reality. Imagine how uncomfortable it would feel if you were just... Just a wretched pagan and you walked in here and all of a sudden everybody's loving you and accepting you. It'd feel like you had a rock in your shoe. It'd feel like you had a boulder in your shoe. It'd be so uncomfortable. Because typically the people who are hurting the most have never experienced that. That's why they're hurting. They've never felt that before. They've never experienced being treated as forgiven and beloved and holy and blameless and adopted and accepted and redeemed. They've never considered themselves useful as heirs to anything other than the wretchedness that their parents bestowed on them. They got that. They know they're heirs to that. But they don't know that they're heirs to the promises of God. Imagine if we became the place where The grace that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 being lavished on us begins to be lavished on the marginalized that walk in here. I think they might just experience Jesus. I think they might leave here and say, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get to know these people. I can't wait to become one of those people. There's people in my life that I want to experience this. I want to learn how I can be that experience for them. See, here's the dirty little secret that we don't talk about in church. You will never treat the other, the outsider, the lost, the wounded soul as God's beloved in Christ until you experience that for yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not experiencing it, you won't offer it. You won't give it. It won't come out of you. So you and me and we, all of us, we have to treat ourselves as God's beloved in Christ before it will spill out of us onto others. So we have work to do. We have work to do. It's real easy to say the mission feels outside these doors, and it is. But we need to evangelize ourselves. We need to evangelize each other We need to evangelize each other with the promise and the identity that is ours in Christ so that that becomes the baseline that we live into all the time. And see, here's what's going to happen. As we do that, there's going to be these rivers of living water that are going to start to flow. First into my own heart, then in my home, then in our church, then in our schools, in our places of business, then on the road and in restaurants in grocery stores in all of us as we live out of our identity as God's beloved in Christ will become a flood that rushes over this community and refreshes everybody we encounter and people will look at temple and go wait a minute i don't know what's going on there but it's a well Could you imagine what would happen if the Holy Spirit moved in this place in such a way that the single mom who's trying to find 15 minutes to run into Walmart and grab lunches for her kids for this week drives by and is overwhelmed by a spiritual flood coming off this property through our hearts. Could you imagine what would happen in your workplace if that river of living water is just flowing out of you Think about that person who drives you crazy at work, and all of a sudden they just can't not be around you because all they want is refreshment. I believe God's Spirit wants to do that in this church. I believe God's Spirit wants to move in this church in such a way that our hearts become sources of deep living water that overflow this community. Now, the question is are we going to participate? Or are we going to be like a bunch of little beavers trying to dam up that river so that we can be refreshed and create a pool? Or are we going to say, no, we want it to flow out? And here's why I believe that God's Spirit wants to do that in temple, because I believe He wants to do it in every church. That's where we need to cast our vision towards When I am God's beloved in Christ and living that out, you experience it. I experience it. Others experience it. And guess what? There's always room for one more. Always room for one more to experience it. And then the world's going to start asking us, not as an indictment, like who are you? But as a praise, who are you? Who are you? I don't know who you are, but you showed up and something changed. It's different. I don't know who you are, but when you picked your kid up at soccer practice and had a 10-minute conversation with me, I had hope. I don't know who you are, but standing behind you in the grocery store and my shoes got wet with living water. There's something refreshing happening here. And we'll be able to look at them and say, I am God's beloved in Christ. I am God's beloved in Christ. you believe that? Do you truly believe that? Will you just say that with me like you actually mean it? Like in that Hebrew sense of trust? Just say it like you mean it. Who are you? That's a good start. It's not a good finish. See, here's my hope. My hope is that tomorrow morning when you... And get out of bed and you stand in front of the mirror with your toothbrush that all you see is God's beloved in Christ. And then that mirror eventually becomes a window. So when I look out, all I see is God's beloved in Christ. And so to that end, we're going to do something now. We're going to take communion together. And I want to kind of enter in this time of communion to just participate as a community of believers, to allow the Spirit of God to speak our identity over us. I want us all just to sit here and turn to God in this time and just ask Him, will you tell me who I am? Will you tell me who I am? Because this, it's different than it has been in the past and they're hard to open and It's probably not the best juice that we could get, but it's still the same thing, man. It's still the same thing. It's a reminder that because of what he did, I am in Christ. And so I want to encourage you to just let him speak that identity over you. Just sit in this moment and say, God, who am I? And as he answers you and the band plays this song If you need some space just to pray, if the Holy Spirit's doing something in you, revealing you to you, inviting you into something, I just want to encourage you, I want to invite you to just come down here and pray. There's nothing magical about being down here and praying. But sometimes, sometimes, when we take a symbolic step and we move, God moves. Now his movement is not contingent on me moving my feet but sometimes I get a tangible experience of that. And what we all need is the experience of truth. So I want to invite you just to to take a moment and and open these and, and take that bread out and sit with God in that question. Lord, who am I? Who am I?